Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Frankie, and it's great to be here with you this morning. And it's really great to be continuing uh, our series in the book of Acts. And it's been a huge journey so far. Over the last three weeks, we've seen the conversion of Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul. We've seen Gentiles, who are non-Jews, come to faith in Jesus as Peter preaches the gospel to them. Last week, we saw the power of God in bringing Peter out of jail and the death of Herod gets eaten by worms. And really, we've been seeing the early church growing and expanding. But through it all, and more than anything, what we've seen is God at work. As His people, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaim the good news of Jesus to all kinds of people, even in the face of heavy opposition and persecution. Persecution that has seen them jailed, bashed, spat on, laughed at, stoned, and the rest of it. And that's what we'll continue to see in the passage we're looking at today. God's word going out and persecution following. Now, it's a really important passage in God's word because what we see happen in chapter 1, what Jesus said in chapter 1 rather, is really starting to take shape. Jesus said that his disciples would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then we see in chapter 9, God's plan was to use Saul as his chosen instrument to make that happen. And from here on in, we follow him to see the gospel go out to the ends of the earth. And in the passage we're looking at today, we hit another turning point in the book of Acts. Because since chapter 1, the main focus has been on Peter and what God's been doing through him. But Luke, the man who wrote this book, now takes the focus off Peter and shifts it onto the Apostle Paul. And what we'll see today is Paul's first of three missionary journeys, as a whole lot of other pagans get grafted into the church alongside the Jews. And on this journey, Paul takes a co-worker named Barnabas along with him, and they go to six main places. Now, we won't have time to go to all the places and look at exactly what happens there, uh, but I encourage you to read through this journey to really draw out what's happening at each place, which I know most of you would have done uh, during your growth groups this week. And we'll focus on three places this morning that they visit on this journey. Uh, But before we get into it, let's have a look at the main places they went to. We'll have some slides uh, and we'll have a look at a bird's eye view of where they went. Oh, the one before that, Lillian, please. Yeah, so they start here in Antioch which is north of Jerusalem. Uh, This is a modern-day map, so the names are what they're called today. The next place they go to, Cyprus. I know there's a fair few Cypriots here. The next place is Perga. And then from there, they go to Pisidian Antioch. From Pisidian Antioch, they move on to Iconium. After Iconium, they go to Lystra. And then they go to Derbe, They travel 
all the way back through all those places to this, to Italia, I think it's called. And from Italia, they go back to the church at Antioch. And that's a huge journey. To be fair, these guys probably would have been in decent shape. But how many of us could pull off a journey like that? I know some of us might have got into a bit of a rhythm of walking during the COVID lockdown. uh, But this is next level. These guys traveled around 2,500 kilometers without cars, bikes, scooters. And this was around 1,800 years before the bicycle was even invented. It was just their legs and probably some camels. And so they went to six main places. Now we'll go to three of them this morning to see the word of God spreading and persecution following. And so for a bit of background to set the scene, uh, Barnabas and Paul were sent on a mission to Jerusalem at the end of chapter 11 to give gifts to the elders there because there was a famine and the church at Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas to give gifts to the elders there. And now at the end of chapter 12, they've just returned to this church at Antioch. And let's have a look at what happens from chapter 13, verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manain, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So from here, they set off. And throughout this journey, we can see the kind of response we can expect too as we carry the gospel to those who need it. Notice, we'll see opposition. Some will be interested. Others will come to believe. But through it all, we'll see the word of God continue to spread and flourish. And that's only by the power of God. The Holy Spirit says in verse 2, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, We aren't told if these men heard a voice from heaven uh, or if God spoke through one of the prophets there. But either way, God's in control and he decides when things should happen. The Holy Spirit doesn't say what the work is there in verse 2. But Paul and Barnabas knew the mission that they were being called to. And now they've been officially commissioned to go and they set off. But not before the others in the church, prayed for them. Which is a great reminder for us to be praying for our missionaries, Chris and Christy Galea in Malta, and to be praying for our church as a whole as we go on mission among the nations God has, that God has brought us here in the southwest of Sydney. And have a look with me from verse 4 as we see the start of this journey. And this is the first of three places we'll take a closer look at. Verse 4, the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. 
when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Paul and Barnabas are on mission to do God's work and they're met with opposition straight away. Elamas, the sorcerer, tried to do the sneaky and get Sergius's focus away from what Paul and Barnabas are teaching. And we're told here that the hand of the Lord was against him. He was judged for it by God on the spot and he became blind. It would have been quite the scene to see. But even with this false prophet, Elamas, trying to turn turn Sergius off Paul and Barnabas, he still came to believe in Jesus. Even though seeing the power of God against Elamas would have contributed, it wasn't only seeing this power that made him a Christian. The verse says, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. The teaching about who Jesus is, and what he's done for us, his work on the cross, his resurrection. Here in Cyprus, the word of God is going out. And the real power is in the gospel, which is what we'll see Paul proclaim And explains so clearly as he gets to the next place. And we'll see the word of God continuing to spread. Have a look with me from verse 14. As we see Paul come to the next major place. Pisidian Antioch. Which is not the Antioch they were sent from. But a place now in modern day Turkey. Now this is the second of three places we'll have a closer look at. So from verse 14. From Perga they went to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. So the word of God has been read out in the Jewish synagogue, and Paul has been asked to exhort the people, which means to strongly encourage or urge them. (laughs) And doesn't he do that? We're going to read now from verse 16, and we'll read what Paul says to all these people. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. 
Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I'm not the one you're looking for. But there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Israel and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that they read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, They asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, By raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he would never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, You will not let your holy one see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Friends, there is so much here in Paul's sermon. But above all else, what we see is the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached. Verses 38 and 39 is the heart and core of of the gospel. I'll read them again for us. Listen to these two verses. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. These two verses are all of the Christian's hope summed up. It's the true peace that we were all searching for at one point or another in our lives. Maybe you're still searching for it. It's all of our hope because...
through faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we have forgiveness of sins. We have justification with God, which means that in God's sight, our legal standing isn't guilty, it's forgiven. How? Because Jesus obeyed God's law perfectly was sacrificed on our behalf, taking upon himself the punishment from God that we deserve so that everyone who has faith in him will be given the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Now these verses also show us that forgiveness is out of our reach if we're trying to get it by keeping the law of Moses. I know that what many of us were told growing up, or maybe some are still in it, is that to earn God's kindness or approval, we have to do good. We have to try our best to keep the Ten Commandments, and that'll do it. We've been driven into a false religious system and been told that that'll get us into heaven. But friends... God's word doesn't teach us that. If that was the case, if we, if we could do it on our own, if we had any chance of being able to earn God's approval by anything we've done, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come. But he has come. He has shown us his amazing grace. But, it doesn't, but also, it doesn't mean that if we've been saved by God's grace, we can live how we like and nothing else matters. It's not the case at all. The Bible is so clear that if we've been saved by God's grace, if we've come to believe this gospel, we will live a life that lives for the one who has set us free and transformed our hearts. Really holding on to this promise from God in these two verses will guard us as well and also keep us going in this life. When we're feeling discouraged and need hope, think of the gospel. When we're feeling anxious and unsettled, think of the gospel. For it's the gospel that brings us peace and reminds us that because of what Jesus has done, we have forgiveness from God and in his sight, we're forgiven if we've come to repent and believe and trust in Jesus. And as this glorious God-given message of Jesus Christ goes out, people came to believe in him here in Pisidian Antioch. We're told that almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God after Paul preaches. The next week they came back, the whole city's there. It wouldn't, as, wouldn't have been as big a city, but even just say Liverpool. After someone preached here, imagine next week we come back and all of Liverpool is here to hear. It's incredible. But what was it that brought all of these people to listen? Was it the way Paul and Barnabas preached? We aren't told that they performed any miracles here, so it couldn't have been that. 
It was the power of the word of God that penetrates the human heart. The people are hearing the message of salvation, the free gift of God's grace offered to us in Jesus Christ. As Paul will go on to say in Romans, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Jesus Christ. What's happening here in Pisidian Antioch is the word of God is going out It is spreading and is flourishing. And people in this area are coming to know that Jesus is the saviour of the world. There's a local church being formed here in Pisidian Antioch. And we'll see uh, see later in chapter 14 how Paul goes about forming and establishing and organising this church. And we'll see that in chapter 14. Uh, But let's see what happens after God's word goes out, from verse 45. Have a look with me. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Paul and Barnabas are still getting challenged. These Jews just keep coming back and back with these attacks. We continue to see God's word go out and persecution following. And after this, they end up leaving, shaking the dust off their feet as a sign of rejection. And now they come to a place called Lystra, which is around 260 kilometers from Pisidian Antioch. Now, they didn't travel it in one go. They had a stop off, but it's a huge journey. It's further than Middleton Grange to Newcastle. That's the trip they took, part of this massive trip they took. And what happens in Lystra isn't what we've seen happen in other places. Here, we're told that maybe one person comes to have faith and becomes a Christian. And it's the guy who was healed in verse 9. The rest of them, the rest of the people there, start thinking that, Paul and Barnabas are gods. And as it is with the word of God, you love it or you hate it. Have a look with me from chapter 14, verse 8. And this is the third and final place we'll take a closer look at. So from verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called up, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. So, like Peter and John healed a man in chapter 3 of Acts, around the Jews... God works through Paul to perform a miracle in this Gentile, non-Jewish community. But in this place, the people start to think they're gods. They want to bring bulls out and start sacrificing bulls to Paul and Barnabas. We're told that after they're all going mad, Paul preaches to them again. But it doesn't get any better. 
because the Jews turned the crowds against Paul and Barnabas and they end up stoning him almost to the point of death. So here in Lystra, they preach God's word, but they don't see as much fruit as they did in Pisidian Antioch. They pretty much only face persecution here in this place, preaching the same message. And that's a great reminder for us here in Southwest Sydney. Because as we preach the gospel, sometimes we'll see people come to faith in Jesus and be saved. And sometimes we'll be completely rejected. The results and the outcome are not our responsibility. We're called to share the gospel, but from there it's between them and God. And so now, after all that, after Lystra, they go to another place in Derby, which is not too far. From Derby, they go back through all the other places they've been with all these new Christians. Paul goes back and tells them, uh, Paul goes back to them all, sorry, and tells them and encourages them to stay true to the faith. Saying to them something that I think sums up the whole missionary journey And also sums up our Christian life in general. And he just nails it in one sentence. Have a look in verse 22 at what Paul says. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. As we travel through this life, and then as we go through hardships, what a comfort it is to know that We're heading and we're on our way to the kingdom of God. Even during the hardships, it assures us we're going forward, we're walking forward. And with a kingdom and an eternity-focused mindset, fixing our eyes on Jesus, we'll be able to endure the hardships of this life. Just like our Lord, who we're told endured the horror of the cross, for the joy that was set before him. And Paul also knows these young churches need leaders. These sheep need shepherds who will love them as Christ's own hands and feet. So him and Barnabas appoint elders in each church on their way back. The churches have been formed. Paul knows they need leaders. He appoints elders at each place. Have a look at Uh, what Paul says, oh, have a look, sorry, what is said in verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. These elders or pastors, shepherds, they're appointed in light of the hardship. It's the role of the shepherd to take care of the flock. Because it's hard work living as a Christian community among a world that hates Jesus and hates the core reason of why we even come together in the first place. The role of the elder pastor is given by God so that his church can be cared for by men who reflect the character of Jesus. It's so important for the life of the church. And more than that, This is God's model described for us in Scripture. 
And after this massive journey, this is what happens when they get back to the sending church uh, in Antioch, which, is, which was a little bit north from Jerusalem. Have a look at verse 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And there stayed a long time with the disciples. Paul and Barnabas get back, and who gets the glory? God does. They reported all that God had done through them. And if you've read these two chapters, and you might remember from Growth Group this week, they did quite a lot. They could have easily came back and said, oh, we did this, we did that. We saw the whole city come together. But it's everything that God had done. And right from the start, if you remember, the Holy Spirit set apart Paul and Barnabas. And here at the end, they say this is all the work that God had done through them. From start to finish, God is in complete control. Working all of this together for his glory. We get to be a part of it. What a reminder that in all we do, in all our service to God, His people, and His mission, He deserves the glory. Because any fruit that comes from our service is only because God is working through us to accomplish His will. And we don't know yet what each one of our efforts will achieve eternally. But can you imagine... When you get to heaven, Jesus taking you through the kingdom and pointing out all the things he's done through us and the eternal purpose that they served. As we walk through a place with no more pain, no more suffering, we'll see that every dollar we invested into the church and the kingdom had an eternal purpose. Every time we've encouraged someone, loved them, lovingly corrected them, it all served a purpose. All our service to his church serves a purpose that we can't even imagine yet. Every time we shared the gospel with someone, thinking that it got nowhere, maybe that seed... as you plant that seed, maybe some of those people will be the ones to welcome us in when we get to those gates. On that day, when we're called, when we're called home, all those who offered themselves as living sacrifices to be used by him will hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. What a privilege to be used by the Lord in his purposes, and what a glorious gospel that we get to share. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your faithful disciples have carried your good news to us all the way here in Sydney. Lord, we thank you that uh, it is by you that we are saved by your work on the cross and your resurrection, 
We have the hope of eternal life. Lord, we've got this good news that has saved us and that has brought us together. Help us to be courageous in sharing it to our family and friends that don't yet know you. To us here, to each other, Lord, help us to talk about and remind us to talk about this gospel. It is all of our hope. And Lord, as we carry your gospel to the nations here in Southwest Sydney, and maybe some here to other places around the world, remind us that it is all for your glory. Give us an eternity-focused mindset, Lord. And help us, and help us help each other to point each other back to you and fix our eyes upon you. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.